Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I'm Af Malhotra, the host of Straight Talk with Af. Today, once again, we have an epic guest. I have the great Doug Rushkoff with me. Now, Doug's name came up a few times with numerous individuals I have immense respect for in the field of research, in the field of technology, and his very famous and powerful podcast, Team Human, caught my attention. He's, of course, a, an accomplished author. He's on the show today because he wrote this uh, pretty interesting book uh, that's had a lot of attention. And he tells me he's been talking about this book again and again on numerous podcasts. So I'm going to do my best to make this an interesting podcast for you, or try at least. The book is called Survival of the Richest. And uh, I'm not going to steal his thunder. He's going to tell us very briefly about why he wrote it and what was the thinking. And, um, and I actually about when he launched the book, and I haven't heard him talk about this, when he launched the book, he wasn't selling it in the conventional way. He was selling it slightly differently, uh, which I, I wouldn't mind if he talks about briefly. And so, Doug, welcome on Straight Talk. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. And uh, what an honor it is to spend some time with you, 60 minutes at least. Uh, before we start, I'd like to first focus on who is Doug? What do we know, uh, we need to know about you uh, the person, your story, as uh, you know, you have time, so just be as expansive as you want. And then let's get to your your output and your brilliant books, because I, I've got to understand, who is this person? How do you think the way you think? Has it changed? Is it the same? Um, so tell us about Doug. What, what's this backstory like right from when you were a child? Where were you born? Are you from the US? Which part of the world? And, and let's explore you for a moment, if that's okay. Yeah, um, I was a... Uh middle-class kid from Queens, New York, um, who I loved I, my first neighborhood. Uh, our working class neighborhood was this great place. I've written about a lot. It's a, a, it was a place where there was like one barbecue at the end of the block. It was a dead end, one barbecue pit kind of there. And, and all weekend long, that thing would be on and your parents could send you with a couple of Hebrew national Franks you know, and some <laughs> other parents would cook them for you. And, yeah. um, and I mean, it wasn't utopia, but it was really normal and everybody knew each other and trusted each other. And my dad got better jobs and we moved to the suburbs and the uh, wealthier we got, the worse the barbecue got, you know, there was no barbecue at the end of the block. Everyone had their own barbecue in their backyard. And instead of barbecuing with the Joneses, you were barbecuing against the Joneses. You know, the, do they have Porterhouse? We got sirloin, they got lobsters, we got Kobe, you know, it, it was like over the hedges sort of thing. And I, I was confused at that point by the premise of America and wealth and, and you do better and things get worse experientially. And so I got interested in theater right after, right around then, thinking that theater would be a way to um, kind of expose the false nature of so much of what yeah. you do. That it seemed like a way, it's almost like theater by creating a stage, you can then pull back and have that moment of aha, that I was really interested in, in that, in, in theater and meta theater, theater that was self-conscious, theater that kind of woke people up to the underlying assumptions by which we live. I was really into, and I didn't know it quite at the time, but kind of denaturalizing power, 
denaturalizing things that we take for granted as, oh, you make money and go to the suburbs. Wait a minute. What is this thing called money? Why do we have to make it? What is the suburbs? Who invented them? What are they for? What is it like? Denaturalizing it, which is a bit like being a historian or uh, uh, I was into into that. What are the things? Why? What is this thing called money? Why do we use this as money? Who makes the money? Why can't I make my own money? What what's going on? You know, who who says why do they get to live in that house and I live in this house? Who where's the law? What's the thing? What did you do? Are you a better person? God loves you more. It's like what all those premises. So theater seemed like this great way to do that. And I was committed to theater and and I was pre-med also throughout my life because my nice Jewish parents said I could be whatever I want as long as it's doctor or lawyer, right? You can go to any college you want as long as it's Harvard, Princeton, or Yale. I mean, they were, you know, <laughs> second generation Americans, really first generation born in America. And they're like, there's a different, uh, uh, sometimes there's a, there's a different, not for all, but for some immigrants, there's a different uh, uh, understanding of the American dream and your obligations as a young person to make their struggle, your parents' struggle, worthwhile. So you don't yeah. just throw it away by becoming an artist or a thinker or a writer. You become a professional, right? You know, what a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it just it's just innate, maybe. And and so I did that too. But I was a theater person. I I was a theater person right until my late twenties. I went to college, went to grad school, was directing theater, and then um, it was really one moment. I was involved in a production of. Um, Three Penny Opera, where the cheapest ticket was seventy dollars, wow. and okay. I was thinking, "What the fuck, man?" You know, here I am, this sort of Marxist trying to do Bertolt Brecht, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is about and wake people up, <laughs> and and theater is this expensive, and it seemed like the wealthy people going to the theater were not doing it in order to have their minds, their mindsets fundamentally changed, but they were going to reinforce their own sense of goodness. Like, oh, did you hear right. about the AIDS crisis? Yes, I saw Angels in America. As if yeah. paying for the ticket and sitting through the play was your activism. So now you could go back and be the same asshole you were. So right around that time that I was fed up, I went, this is crazy. I don't want to do theater because it's elitist. It's expensive. It caters to sort of business people and all that. Just then the internet was starting. And the mm -hmm. internet, I thought, oh, here's going to be the people's medium, Vox Populous, you know, and all that. This is, mm -hmm. you know, the bottom up interactive kids in the back of the bus sharing wares. And um, it just seemed so open and leveling the playing field and psychedelic. And, you know, I was a psychedelic person then too. And my most psychedelic friends that I knew from college were moving mm -hmm. to California to become programmers at Intel, Northrop Grumman, uh, uh, Apple, uh, uh, you know, Silicon um, Graphics Workstation. They were, they were, you know, working during the day programming shit and then coming home at night and rendering fractals on sun yeah. workstations and going to grateful dead shows and scraping the peyote buds off cactuses and having dmt yeah. trips with each other i'm like what is this so i became interested in this thing that's why you know and then watched and complained as this thing was slowly surrendered to the worst of capitalism and the worst of kind of tech bro scientism and been writing mm. about that that and and complaining about that phenomenon for the last 20 30 years
<laughs> you remind me, that's brilliant. Thank you. You remind me a few things. So first one, if I forget, you know, when you talked about all of those questions, the curiosity, you remind me of my little daughter. And, uh, and I'm super, I'm, I'm a little bit out there, you know, like we, we have to be, because I'm an artist too. So I'm a musician like you are. And our brain does work a little bit differently, honestly. And I do love, I do love stage. I love the stage. I love performing. That's why I feel most comfortable, bizarrely. And uh, when, you, when you started to talk about those basic questions, I, I'm also an anthropologist, by the way. So that was my first degree. When everyone else was doing business and they were looking at me, or computer science, they were like, what yeah. the hell's wrong with you, man? You know, you're not going to make any money. You know, you're going to be a professor or something in some university. And then I fell into technology too. You ask those questions. One of the things I, I see as a big problem too, and we're not going to just complain today, but one of the problems today is curiosity. You know, kids teach you to be curious. They ask you all of these basic questions. My daughter, Aria, she continues to, she's four. She asked me all of these, the same questions, the most basic questions. And fun, you know, fundamentally, those are the questions as adults we somehow erase or delete or forget about or bury somewhere. And I wish we, we continue, we'd continue to ask those questions ourselves. We wouldn't be in the shitty situation that we're in right now from a technological standpoint, at least the stuff that you talk about. That's right. one we thing. To, right. And we would have to change the way we educate kids because we take those kids yeah. who are curious yeah. about everything and we send them, yeah. send them to schools where we ask them to memorize things and conform, where we give yeah. them a, we throw an iPad in their hand in second grade and then use, you know, assessments, assessment strategies coming from Silicon Valley, which are designed to just increase education dependence on their software and platforms not yeah. to create curious uh strange wonderful children yeah yeah you're bang on and it, it is painful to see and especially for people like us who are curious and are observers and are, are practitioners of curiosity and you know a lot of it a lot of our lives maybe we were marginalized you know when you talk about diversity these days you talk about neurocognitive diverse people maybe whatever category we might have fit, fit you know been fit fitted into in the past i remember you know um, we were uh, we were outliers, you know, we weren't in the normal distribution. So you're like, no, 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 quickly, shit, don't ask so many questions. And then I remember there was this one time within the whole model change where people said, there's no such thing as a silly question. So, but at the early phases of my, when I was doing my MBA and stuff like that at reputable universities that you, you would know of, um, the, the mantra was very, very different. You're bang on. The second thing I want to tell you, though, just, just a quick one, and we'll, we'll go into this, is when you describe you as the young you, the, that, the, the, you know, the, the musician, the artist, the dramatist, the director, the stage guy, and you did the tech gig, and you went off because the trend, the, the wave, you had to pay bills, right? You went and did tech. It reminds no, me of India. No, when, when I went into tech, it was the opposite. When I right. went into tech parents would weep if their kids decided to get involved mm. in computers because right. they thought they were going to go basically deciding to play Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, with yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. You know, gotcha. It was yeah. a different moment. Late 80s, yeah. early 90s was not, oh, we're going to make money doing this. It was like, no, we're going to throw away our lives because we want to go play on the well. Interesting. So then, okay, fair enough. The nuance then is in India today, if you look at a city like Bangalore, Bengaluru, as they call it these days, you know, uh, the, the, it's very, very interesting that the, the hundreds of millions of people who are MBAs and engineer graduates and so on and so forth. And, you know, we, we've outsourced most of the stuff that's happening in the West to India. But what's interesting socially, socioculturally, many of these guys are drug taking, marijuana smoking, young guys who were forced into engineering, then realized there's no money in it. So then they did some tech computer science course. 
uh, went to IIT or something similar. Now it pays them well, but actually at night, they just want to zone out. Many musicians, many rock stars, many Iron Maiden fans, Guns N' Roses fans, tabla players. And I was like, wow. So that's like your alter ego, you know, the other side of you. Uh, existing, hmm. so it kind of reminds me of that. Is that still the case in in the in the valley or the and in, in parts of no. the states that? No, it was the case at the beginning because you have to understand in the late eighties, early nineties, yeah. we were building a new landscape for human interaction. We were basically hallucinating something into existence, and the right. only people who were comfortable hallucinating things into reality were psychedelics people and children. Mm -hmm. Right. So who was best at computers then? It was kids who were hackers hacking into things. And it was this weird psychedelic groups. And I, right. I wrote this, my first book, really, my first real book was called Siberia, you know, C-Y-B-E-R-I-A. And in there I was speaking, I interviewed people who were, you know, the managers at Intel and Northrop and these other companies saying why they were hiring psychedelics users and how they were actually warning them because they all have defense contracts, how they were warning psychedelics users a few weeks before mandatory drug tests were coming, you know, don't trip for a week or two because we have to take your blood next week, you know. Mm. So they understood what it was. Now, no, now you're looking for something else. Now you're looking for, um, and they're, they're better and worse in some ways. You're looking for engineers, people who whom you could task with any challenge and know how they can code their way out of that you know because most of these companies they really what they've done is just painted themselves into corners with code mm. so you hire mm. a bright kid how do we get out of this mess you know and they mm. and then you end up just with a kludge on top of a kludge on top of a kludge where the original um the original ethos and and drive of this technology was to kind of reboot things, was to re-engineer the fundamental rules on, on which um, human beings operated. Mm -hmm. the, um, the book that you've written, we'll come to that momentarily as well. Um, the book that you've written, I mean, you've written so many books, Survival of the Richest. Um, so tell us briefly, I know you've said this many times, but tell us why you wrote this. I know there was a particular event that happened. I love the way you describe that, by the way. It's very expansive, very, very stage-like, you know, uh, director-like. So I'm going to force you to do it again, just because I like the way you describe it. And then um, I just want to, I want to go down a pathway where, you know, w many of us, many of our listeners understand the, the perils of um, some of you call them tech bros, you know, tech titans, whatever, you know, the dominance and the way they're looking at the world. We get that. Uh, but there is, we also want to, we want to look at, try and be a little bit uh, optimistic as well about what could be, um, what could be different, what could be better for us and what will it take, if at all, and it could be utopian, it could be like a fantasy for us, our oh, escape fantasy, right, but not, not non-billion escape fantasy. In fact, I wonder what ours is. So... Uh, talk us through the book. So why did you write it? Right. Um, what well, you you know, write it? well, first, you don't need to be optimistic to be constructive, right? right? You know, you don't need a patina of optimism or pessimism to go, okay, you know, in its current course, everyone dies. What could be done? What could be done to either mitigate the, the, mitigate the horrors or avert catastrophe, you know? Or if there's going to be a catastrophe, what can we do so that some of us continue on and what can they bring forward with them into the desert you know like the israelites escaping you know egypt what 
you know, what, what, what can we bring with us so that the next civilization might not make some of the same mistakes, assuming we get a next civilization. So there's, there's, right. that could sound pessimistic, but it's not, it's just constructive. It's just, well, what, what do we do now? You know, I worked in hospitals. So, I mean, I, I know that I, there, there, there's hospice, there's all sorts of things. Even if we're just doing hospice now, let's do hospice on humans. That's not necessarily sad, it's beautiful. You know, how do we make yeah, this time as beautiful as it could be? Um, so as far as this book and me, um, Survival of the Richest, Escape Fantasies of the Tech Billionaires, um, could have been written with or without the, the initiating event. I mean, I've been concerned about the, the escape fantasies of tech billionaires since AOL merged with Time Warner in 1999, when I'm like, oh no, he's executing an exit strategy. He's jumping ship, that this means AOL's ending, not that it's the beginning of the new synergy. So once I saw that most tech people were building companies not to run them, but building companies to sell them, when I realized that they really didn't care about the internet landscape, except insofar as they could execute some scorched earth strategy that would either destroy the net or the real world or people's lives or all three. Um, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, well, that's weird. You know, they're trying to basically build a car that could drive fast enough for them to escape from their own exhaust. You know, I had met mm -hmm. a lot of these guys who were, you know, on the, on the one hand, making apps for our kids and on the other hand, not letting their kids use those apps mm -hmm. and living up in, you know, Arcata, California with a with a goat share and sending their kids to Rudolph Steiner schools. I'm like, what's wrong with this picture, right? These guys are, 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 are trying to insulate themselves from the very damage they are creating. So I understood that when I went to um, do one of the high paid talks that I do. I, every once in a while I do a talk that subsidizes everything else. And usually it's for a bunch of rich hedge fund guys who just want, you know, kind of binary oversimplified answers about where to place their bets. Mm. And this was one of those, only when, when I got to this resort um, and I'm sitting in the green room waiting to be taken onto the stage, instead of bringing me out to the stage, they bring these five dudes into the green room who just sit around the table, you know, in this kind of confrontational way and start peppering me with those questions with, you know, uh, uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum, virtual reality or augmented reality, you know, where do we put our money, which is the thing as if that's what I am, you know, I'm the guy who would have told you to bet on Betamax, not VHS, right? I would have said bet on CompuServe, not AOL, right? I'm, I choose the better thing, not the one that's going to actually make the money. So don't, don't talk to me. Um, but they were doing that. And then finally, they got around to uh, Alaska or New Zealand, right? Where should they put their bunker for the event, you know, which is the the catastrophe uh, of, of unknown origin, the the, you know, bioengineering crisis, the the nanotech accident, the climate change, environmental you know, problem, uh, economic unrest, that, you know, nuclear disaster, uh, uh, electromagnetic pulse that renders life unlivable and forces right. them to, to go out to one of these things. And I, I didn't know how seriously to take them. And I started sort of, uh, you know, needling them about their, so oh, you, you've got a bunker and where did you, we put it in New Zealand. Okay. Where do you get your water from? How are you keeping people out? What are you doing? You know, and then they started to explain to me that they all had Navy SEALs. They all hired on contract at Navy SEALs ready, you know, with, you know, at helicopters that are, you know, in standby mode, fully gassed to, 
come and 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 protect them, you know, and and against against the likes of us, you know, once they right. need to go into their bunker compounds. And then I found I asked them, so how do you plan to pay these people after your money is worthless? And one of the guys like opens his little moleskin book. It's like how to pay security after money worthless. It's like they they hadn't thought of these really super basic, you know, um, um, Walking Dead level scenario right. planning. You know, not deep shit. And yeah. so then they're talking about, oh, do we do, you know, can we do shock collars? Can I, I, I uh, you know, have a combination lock on the food that only me and my wife know? And I'm like, dude, the way to prevent your head of security from killing you in the bunker is to pay for his daughter's bat mitzvah today. And it was sort of my my almost, you know, semi semi. I don't know if it's self-racist. I don't know what you call it, but um, I'm Jewish. In, in, so the, in the UK, we say you're having a dig at them. Yeah, having a dig at them because obviously, I mean, most probably their their Navy SEAL head of security doesn't have a daughter getting a bat mitzvah, I'm figuring. But it was my way of saying, look, the way to stop to make this is is the, the problem with that then is like, well, where does it stop? If we're nice to the security guards, then do we have to be nice to all the employees and then nice? What I was trying to show is, you know, if you're nice to people rather than building a bunker, then maybe we won't have to have this at all but what i was shocked by was that these guys mindset these guys who are the wealthiest most powerful in theory most most um ingenious people of our time um had no confidence in their ability to avert the future that the best they could do with all their money and all their tech is prepare for the inevitable inevitable collapse you know and try to take care of themselves and their family as best as possible and that's when i realized that they're victims of this mindset you know this sort of capitalist yeah. techno technocratic mindset that that leaves no room for for uh, uh for the others yeah i asked you a question earlier i'm gonna ask you it again if that's okay so what if you don't mind sharing it so what was the demographic of this room i know there were five men were they all five white men were they people of color Four white they were all they were all in their 50s except for one of them who seemed kind of younger and actually more directly involved in technology they were hedge fundy guys you know hedge fund guys a vc like two hedge funds a vc a bank executive and a i mean sometimes it's hard to tell with these you know late 30 early early 40 something tech founders if they are technologists or just founders but one of those interesting and um so something i wanted to ask you really because a lot of what you write about and you, you've been talking about here today and earlier um, relates to the West and the United States being the, the primary um, nation that you're referring to. But of course, it, you know, the contagion spreads. And I just want to, I want to give an example of, of what I see going on in the world today. So the American, uh, let's take America, let's take the, the United Kingdom and let's take India, just, just, you know, just as a triage. And for, for good reason. So the, the, the American dream, if I look outside in, because I'm in Britain, in London, is really clear. It's quite simple. It's uh, come here and you're going to make, if you work hard, very hard, you're going to make loads of money. And with all of that money, you can buy stuff. And maybe China will give you a lot of that stuff and you can buy, you know, buy it all the time if you wish, that sort of mass consumerism. And you can give your kids the best education. And if you have the money, you can get the best health care. 
and da 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 da. And you can have bunkers, and you can have helicopters, and you can have navy seals. You can have anything you desire. Your fantasy fulfilled. It's only in America, and uh, that's it's clear cut, good or bad. It's clear cut. I come to the United Kingdom, I scratch my head trying to figure out what is the promise of the United Kingdom today? And the only, the only thing I landed on as a, a British uh, citizen and a person of color from a different ethnicity is that Britain actually is sort of pseudo-capitalistic, -capital, um, socialist, somewhere where we're lost right now. But actually, the one good thing about us is that we're pretty fair. There's a lot of um, fairness built into the system, as in Boris Johnson, the previous prime minister when he was mayor, could be on the, the tube and I could be sitting next to him. I could go shop at Waitrose or M&S, which is our supermarket here, like, you know, the, 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 the um, uh, Trader Joe's or the uh, Whole Foods, and I could spot him in the aisle and I could be a, I don't know, an Amazon delivery guy and he could be the mayor of London. And we, that stuff still works here to, to a large extent until you get to the aristocrats. Then you get to India, which is India fundamentally is a post, you know, post-colonial story. And, you know, there, there's the dark side of that as well. In fact, Shashi Tharoor, Dr. Shashi Tharoor, who wrote his fantastic book, which just went crazy, uh, Inglorious Empire, who's coming on my show in the next couple of months. I want to get a different perspective. Now we've got a, a prime minister with an Indian origin. So I want to hear if he's got something decent to say about mm -hmm. the UK, or is he going to still lambast the UK? But India is fascinated and enchanted, obsessed with America. Um, a, because of its technology revolution and how that's driven GDP and changed the face of the country. But fundamentally, you go and speak to people in India, every young person you go and speak to, and about 650 million of them who are under the age of 28, their first nation, it's like, if you were to leave India, where would you go? America. Um, and for all the good reasons, all these Indian origin CEOs, Satya Nadella, Sundar Chai, all of these tech companies that you cover. So when you think of America of today, America has influenced so many nations, the West and the East, and devil's advocate, where did it all go wrong? Because, I mean, the capitalism's, you know, I, I used to lambast, I used to sort of, you know, go after capitalism. It's got its downsides, but, you know, what, what do we have as an alternative today? But where, where did it all go wrong in your study, in your history? Where, where did we fuck this up? Oh, it depends. There's a lot of places you could look at. Um... You could look at when we moved from a migratory to sedentary living, you know, yeah. and and had land to defend. And uh, once we were no longer, you know, taking what we needed as we needed, but started to try to, you know, turn the earth into something that would uh, provide more than it wanted to um, by itself. Um, so you can go all the way back there, or you can come, you know, you can go forward to the the colonial urge. You know, the colonial yeah. urge partly comes from territory, but in more modern times and, you know, since medievalism, um, it was really to satisfy the needs of central currency. You know, we, yeah. we created interest-bearing central currency as a way of stemming the rise of the middle class in the late Middle Ages. People were trading in a peer-to-peer -peer economy. They were getting rich. They weren't working. They broke through feudalism. And the aristocrats needed to do something to restore their unearned 
uh, uh, power over everybody. So they made money illegal. You had to borrow. They financialized the economy. You had to borrow central currency at interest from the monarchs and the aristocracy and pay it back at interest. But that meant the economy had to grow. In order for the economy to grow, you've got to start going to other places and taking stuff. And you had the leading philosophers of the time, guys like Hobbes, saying, look, go to America, take their stuff. They're not humans. They're natives, they're Indians, they're something else. You don't have to think of them as like living Christian being. Think of them as if they're just shrubs or grass or anything else that you're gonna clear cut. Not that we should think of shrubs or glasses. grass as something we should, you know, ducks and bugs or anything as something you should clear cut either. Um, but it, it, it was, um, that was a really wrong turn. I mean, and we colonized, uh, uh, you know, the colonial story, you know, uh, America, South America and India and, and, and to try to do um, China with that same, that same view. I mean, all we're really seeing now is that we're no longer only colonizing people with brown skin. Now we in the West, we're colonizing ourselves, our own children, you know? That's why we've got, you know, this 1% that owns 99% of everything and 99% who are like, what the fuck is going on here? Um, so where did we go wrong? I mean, uh, uh, back when, you know, uh, Rianne Eisler traces it to the uh, metallurgy. Yeah, once we you know, developed metallurgy, the people who had metal would use it as chains and swords to dominate the more matriarchal societies that didn't put their um, uh, resources into uh, uh, weaponry. And it's really tricky. If you don't put your resources into weapons, then whatever society is will be able to take you <laughs> to take you over so right. what do you do with that you know where do you where do you go with that um it's 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 a hard one and that's why so many you know so-called i would call them innocent peoples ended up dominated and controlled of course it reaches its limit you know and that's where we're at today it reached its limit which is why the wealthiest are going well how do i get out they want to continue the same thing you go west you go to america then you go there then you go here until you run out of territory and then what do you do you know when i write about this in in the book you go meta you say okay i'm going to go one level above you have peter Thiel. you you go from zero to one you take you become one order of magnitude above everyone who's competing, whether you call it web two to not be web one or web three to not be web two, whether you call it meta to not be Facebook, you know, or one to not be zero or to be Kurzweil uploading your consciousness to the cloud to not be down here with the, the you know, humans 1.0, um, you, you reboot to that next place. And I'm here to say that next place doesn't, doesn't exist. The other thing I want to challenge is and I think this is what we have to get over. When we say America's promise is this, and England doesn't have a promise, and this is, who's to say you get promised anything? You know, you're not promised anything. The thing we've got to get our heads around, this is my book before this, it's called Team Human, um, mm. is you are sacred right now. You don't need to achieve anything you just the fact that you made it here that you made it that you were born means you are sacred and deserving of love and respect and food and shelter and everything you're here you should be embraced and nurtured and be allowed to participate in this you are okay just the way you are you know that's why we have 
I think why we have sacred spaces, why, you know, the Jews, we have, we have Sabbath, that one day a week, it's not to worship God. I mean, you can, it's fine, be thankful, it's cool. But the whole point of Sabbath is to say, no, you don't have to work. You, need, you can have 24 hours from sundown to sundown to just celebrate the fact that you're here, that you are mm. a, a sacred being. And I think the mm. more you do that, the less you would look at, oh, America, I will get, I will work hard and I will get over the thing. You know, the American mm. dream, mm. reach mm. the thing. Mm. It's great for motivating people, but there is no thing. You know, even you talk to a really smart, there is no Moshiach, no Messiah coming. There's no thing. There's this, this is it. You know, this right. is it. And the more you get that, the easier it is to stop, to get off these ends justifies the means journeys towards your exit, towards your thing, towards that, that thing that, that all the bros were looking for. Mm-hmm. It's beautifully put. And I think it reminds me of um, when you go back to thousands of years ago, again, I'm talking about India only because we're talking about the fate of the world and the future. Mm. And the more I read, the more I spend time with people from different backgrounds and uh, who have different levels of intellect, different viewpoints and so on. It it's, it's astonishes me that um, what I've read out of India, there's, there's a lot of journals, a lot of Vedic scripts, the Patanjali Sutras, uh, written thousands and thousands of years ago. Um, and of course, the normal, you know, the Bhagavad Gita, the Upanishads, the many, many other books. But actually, they're not religious texts at all. I mean, they're stories, really. Yeah. And when you when you read them carefully, what they have within them is the 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 principles and very basic principles that you just narrated, which is love, uh, camaraderie, community, friendship, care, sensitivity, um, survival. Etc. 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 And these systems that we've built now we're challenging them. I mean, I think the, the whole COVID situation has been interesting. I know you've been studying this for a while, so you're a trailblazer here. But I think after COVID, a lot of people have been questioning everything. You know, um, even at a basic level, like what the hell am I doing here? Like I wake up in the morning like a robot and I go to work at nine. I come back at five. I know that screws me up because I take stress med. I've, I've just had, you know, multiple stents put in. I've got autoimmune conditions. My kids don't love me. And I was just doing this for my kids because they hate me, but I sent them right. to the best private schools. It goes on and on and on. It's like the great Buddha, the Buddha, you know, Buddha talked about <laughs> the, the, the contradictions, the um, dichotomies, the oxymorons of how human beings live their lives. I don't think it's a new phenomenon, though, is it really, Doug? I mean, we've been, you read through all the scriptures, we've been doing this shit for a long time. Um, but here's my question to you then. So, um, look, you mean, we are here today, you know, tomorrow, who knows what's going to happen? Life is uncertain and fragile. The impact that you have made as an individual to the people around you, you've done it through the medium of, media and books, right? And, and talks and various other things. What, what, tell me a little bit about, I'm, I'm intrigued. What is your purpose? Like you wake up in the morning. I know you do a bunch of things. You're a musician, so I love you for that anyway. You do yoga, but what, what, what keeps you awake? Uh, I mean, keeps you, what wakes you up in the morning? What keeps you going? What's your sort of sense of purpose yourself? Because you've come to a point in your life and I'm asking you, it's a leading question for, in a moment, but you've come to a point in your life where you've seen so much. Uh, I'm selfishly asking you, what have you learned about life and what are you thinking about when you think about tomorrow? Well, there's a lot of different questions in there. Yes, I know. But I know. To the first one, um, what I'm doing is I'm doing four things. Okay. And 
they they kind of go in order but yeah i'm doing them all at the same time i'm first i'm trying to denaturalize power right what we were talking about before to denaturalize yeah. these things and denaturalize just means make it make make their 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 man-made creation apparent denaturalize money denaturalize the idea that everyone has to have a job denaturalize capitalism you know dean just help people see that no no god didn't make these these are not pre-existing conditions of nature these are creations of humans so denaturalize power second um through the process trigger agency so once you realize that these systems have been created by other people at other times, that should trigger your agency to say, oh, well, what would I like to do instead? What kind of money system would I like instead? What would I, what would I do about jobs instead? So trigger agency. Um, third is re-socialize people. Once you have agency, you realize, oh, we've got to find the others and do this together. So basically help people understand that being human is a team sport. Um, so that's just re-socialize people. And finally, um cultivate awe cultivate awe because once you find the other people and all that you realize oh it's not about eyes on the prize getting to that thing once you're with the other people you can have that experience of awe of of uh whether it's you know spiritual union or connection to nature or 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 uh, understanding that you're part of this thing larger than yourself you know, yeah. the entrance to that is other people. So it's those four things, really. Denaturalize power, trigger agency, re-socialize people, and cultivate awe. And I try to do that, you know, with, you know, with my talks and books. I'm generally trying to, to um, uh, challenge the underlying power structures. With my podcast, I'm trying to re-socialize people. You know, with my graphic novels and, and more artsy things and my music, I'm trying to cultivate awe. Um, so I'm mm. sort of doing them all um, simultaneously and 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 moving, you know, because you you denaturalizing power, uh, the people in power get really mad at you, and it gets it's hard. They yell at you, they they undermine you. So sometimes you want to move off that and let's so uh, let's cultivate a little bit of awe for a while here, you know, <laughs> and then go back mm. to denaturalizing power. Let's re-socialize people. That one's fun, mm. you know. Mm. Beautiful. I love. I love all of them, and I think one of the um, that's a really nice. That's a really nice sense of purpose, and I guess you've committed your life to doing it. I want to underscore that point by telling you something, which is quite really interesting for me. So I'm like in my mid forties now, and I've been doing this for a couple of years. This is an education for me, right? This is selfishly my fifty MBAs, real life mm-hmm. MBAs, because I end up speaking to such great people like yourself. Incidentally, over the last year, don't ask me why and how, a majority of the people I've spoken with are over the age of 70, somehow. I don't know, mm-hmm. not by design, not by design. And it's just sort of happened organically and I'm, I've been reflecting. And I'll tell you something really interesting. It's like great wisdom for me. Many of these people, some of them you might even know, um, Ed Hajim, ex, you know, uh, High Vista, he, he's the hedge fund manager, story of an orphanage, Young, young man, a lot of pain, made it really, really, um, you know, made, rode the wave in the United States, giving back to society and so on and so forth. Bill Davida, who you might know, of course, uh, Mark Stallman, yourself. I've had Nolan Bushnell. Um, I had, I've had many women on this show, too, as well, in the, you know, um, um, who have given me a perspective on how after a certain point in your life, 
you have to sit back and you have to reflect. A lot of what you're saying here, they've not sort of articulated it in those four areas. But this is what they've said to me at offline, online. They said, look, Af, this is what we've learned, right? We've done tech. We've made loads of money. We've lost money. We've done this. We've done that. We made money in the 90s. We did this. We IPO'd all of those good things. At the end of the day, we're now, we're now close to uh, realizing that, okay, I don't, we don't have as long as we'd like. Time is not our best friend at this point. Either we're ailing or I can't walk properly or my mind's not taking at the same pace and, and, and so on and so forth. But this is what you need to remember. All of this technology is great. You know, live your life, go through the phases. But don't forget that you are a human being. In the, I'm just paraphrasing. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, no. You're, what we see in society is that we are detaching ourselves. We're forgetting that we're human. With, you know, you talked about social media, whether it's AR, VR, it's all sexy and it sounds fantastic. And God bless you if you, you know, go into this area. But remind yourself as to community, your children, curiosity, all of the things, you know, eat food with your hands. You know, it's it's part of someone's culture. Go share a meal uh, with your neighbors. Go give them something. I know, go give a, you know, bake a cake, give it to your neighbor. Things like that that make us human. Bill Davido talked about this story. Funny. He said, I go on this family holiday every year. Uh, I don't know. He must be in his late 70s, 80s. And he said, and I walked to the local market, I think it was in Maui. He said, I walked to the local market and I wanted to buy some fruits. So this vendor, this woman, oldish woman, she was, she had bananas. So I said, can I buy some bananas? So she said, yeah, so sure. So she gave me some bananas. And um, uh, so, you know, I said, uh, she said, I don't have a change. Right. So I said, well, don't worry, keep the change. She said, uh, uh, uh. So she gave me bananas and she gave me some oranges and she gave me some apples in lieu of the change. So sounds obvious, but he said, do you know what? It was so refreshing because the system of bartering, what is, what, what is the perceived value of what you can give someone has been totally destroyed with the system that we live in, um, in the West. And I love the way you're breaking all of these points down because, and I, I've written them down because I'll mirror some of it. So I've learned a lot from that. And I think today what I've taken away from you is, uh, you know, of course, you're a great author and I admire all of that. But actually what I've taken away from this podcast is that you have a cause. Uh, you've been committed to that cause, whatever it may be. You've designed your life to fulfill whatever purpose you believe you need to fulfill till you're around. And you're not scared and you're courageous and oh. you just do it. That's what I take away from you. And I've never, I don't know you. This is the first time I've met you, but I, that's the energy I take away from you with just a few interactions that we've had and just moments of connectivity there. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm going to learn from this podcast outside of, outside of your book. Um, time to run I don't out. Know that there's much, there's not much choice in the matter, right? You're going to, no, people no. are going to manifest, you know, you, you could either get in the way of yourself yeah. or not there's enough other things to get in your way <laughs> you know you might as well be honest with yourself about what what it is you could do and what you can't because boy oh boy no one else is yeah. gonna be yeah yeah no you're, you're bang on and um I, i'm hoping i get to see you at some point physically if i'm in the states or if you're in london yeah and or if i'm in the um, you know, beautiful I, uk Boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anytime. I've been thinking a lot about people... India too. It's an interesting. It, it, India is a, a a linchpin now in yeah the global Russia, China, the U.S., 
India, where India chooses to align itself, um, yeah. is going to be of major import in the next just couple of years. It's going to be interesting. Correct. Yeah, it's a big it's a big passion for me. I do I do run a nonprofit um, to drive UK India trade. So that's another conversation we can have offline. Um, but that's that's the market you absolutely should be. Um, speaking to and plugged into if you're not already of course and it's complex as well it's big and it's complex yeah so we come to the close of this uh, session i know you've done many podcasts today so you're probably exhausted and you probably need to have another cup of coffee it's my evening time i'm deeply grateful doug for um all the time you've given us and me and, and all of our listeners and just being open and honest about your views and opinions and uh, your style your energy and I love the fact that you're a musician and you're actually an artist. You're actually a, a performer, sure. aren't you? I can see it. I can just see it. And I'll probably see you in a play at some point, not just directing yeah. one, maybe acting. Don't one. tell anyone. You know, it's a play. It's all a play. <laughs> it's, it's all, all a, a play. play. <laughs> of course it is. It is. <laughs> and so uh, thank you so much. Before you go, um, just a few words. How's this experience been for you over the last hour? Just some feedback for us and for me uh, to, to get better and to, to keep developing ourselves. Um, I mean, to get better, the only get better I would have is, um, there's like the conversation is great and all that, but then when you hand it off, I'm not sure which of many things to respond to, Okay, which is fine, but it, it gives me a moment of anxiety of like, yeah. well, is the main question that or this and so I still feel maybe it's my problem, but I still feel uh, uh, an obligation to respond appropriately. And I don't know what that necessarily is, because some of them was there was like three questions, which to me would feel really yeah. different from each other in the same thing. So I get it. So the only and not that even that's a problem, except that I, I then worry. I then. <laughs> And, 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 maybe by, and maybe by design and maybe by design, because I mean, you're, you're the kind of guests we've had our best place to answer these questions because it's abstract right. and uh, it does go in, in crazy direction sometimes, but you know, you're, the, you're your best place for that, which you're, which is your best. Cause what's the point of doing it? You know, I, I'm not doing this to, you know, what's the point of doing it otherwise, but I've really, no, the point of thrived. doing it is for you to go on your journey and to then yeah. your one obligation. Uh, if you get to do a journey that most people don't get to do, your obligation is to then report back on that journey to everybody else, Correct. you know? Correct. Correct. Which, which, is, which is exactly what I'm working on. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, that's fantastic. Thank you for that. And, and anything um, that was, you know, a little bit different to the other podcasts may not be, might be just the same. So I'd love some feedback because we capture it as a testimonial and it makes us feel good about the fact that. I mean, I think you're, in. you're, oh, is it as a testimonial? Um, 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 <laughs> I mean, I like that your focus is uh, sort of more international and universal, you know, that you're trying to bring this to a, a bit of a global perspective on on questions rather than california's answer to each of these questions yeah good okay i'll take that and uh that's um that's what i'll continue to work hard towards and yeah, uh, listen, we didn't thank you about so the mahabharata at all but you almost went there <laughs> that, that well i'll open up that chapter the next time we talk because we've still got to do the yoga practice we've got to do I the know. mahabharata, mahabharata um, i can't i mean it's good for stories but i don't i don't derive ethical 
spiritual content from it, but like how to know God or something. What yeah. is that called yeah. in, in in India? I don't know what it's called. The how to know the the. It's that little book. It's the Indian book on on. It's got the whole thing. Um, you the how to know um, God? We call it. Um, what was it called in? Uh, Well, we'll talk about it later. But you know, yeah. there's, there's how to know God in in from 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 you guys. There's the Dhammapada from the Buddhists. There's some of these yeah. little books that really yeah. do. It's like everything you need to know is right here, and right. it's like more yeah. than enough for any one lifetime. Of like, so then yeah. why bother with these giant texts? Yeah, <laughs> check, absolutely. Check check out when you get a chance. It's a bit of a yeah. long name, but something called Patanjali Sutras. Okay. Patanjali, P-A-T-A-N-J-A-L-I, sutras, S-U-T-R-A-S. Okay. There's a translated version on Amazon by, I've forgotten the chap's name. He's an, he's an English, um, American or English man. Um, it's got the highest voting or rating, uh, highest stars. It's a thin little book. It was written two and a half thousand years ago. <laughs> it's mind-blowing. You're like, what the hell? Uh, and it's literally, it's, it's, it's like list of one to 200. And you just think to yourself, how the hell was this stuff covered thousands of years right. ago? Uh, it's brilliant. It's, it's like a must read. I've got it by my right. It's because it was true because it's fundamentally yeah, true. It was yeah. Because <laughs> it was true. Exactly. Um, brilliant. So where do you live by the way in the States? I'm in Hastings on Hudson, New York. Okay, how to new? Okay, so I, I will absolutely look you up, and I'll, I'll take your, I'll ask you for your mobile number or your cell number on the email. If you could share right. it with me, that'd be great. Keep in touch with you. Thank you so much, to, uh, Doug. Real oh, pleasure. Thank you. After yourself. Yep. You too. Right. Thanks, well. Denise. All right. Be good. Namaste. Thank you. Denise. <laughs> thank you. Namaste. <laughs>